0: All right, I want to make some promises to you today. It's kind of kind of coming off of song 1. Didn't write this right now. Holy Spirit was in the writing as well, but I want to make you some promises. One, we're going to have some fun. We're going to laugh, okay? Is that okay? All right, if we laugh, we laugh in our church. Um, it is a life-giving church. Uh, I grew up in a church where if you didn't feel worse about yourself when you left, like the pastor didn't do his job. So he just kept preaching longer, and I kept getting more hungry. And so uh, we're going to have fun. We're gonna, I'm going to interact with you. We're going intera- to interact with each other. And so the more that you interact, the faster I preach, you know what I'm saying? So you will get to lunch faster as well. And then the third thing. The promise I'm going to make is, is we're going to leave challenged. We're going to leave challenged. And uh, I think that's important um, and, and really not in any of uh, specific order, but I think it's important to, to have fun in church, to hear a life-giving word. Because when I read the stories and the accounts of Jesus, he was so life-giving. Like when I, when I the people that he was most, he was toughest on were the religious The lost, his heart was broken for all of humanity. He was he was so he was so life giving and he was also challenging. You know, when the woman was caught in adultery, you remember that he 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 forgave her, but then he at the very end he said, Now go and from now on, what does he say? Sin no more. He met her with grace and he met her with truth. And I don't believe that you have to be absent of one or the other in order to preach the gospel. And so we're going to get into the message today um, because I have, um, I, I'm not going to tell you how much time I have because you're going to be counting down the minutes, and, uh, but I have some time. I got some time. And, uh, but I want to ask you a question. How many of y'all remember, again, this is the interaction piece. How many of y'all remember growing up as kids and working your parents in order to get them to come to a decision that you wanted them to come to. How many of you remember that like you would you would kind of corner them separately, right? You would you would corner them separately and and uh the reason the reason I know this to be true is um and and here's what i know uh, up until yesterday i was raising a little sinner come on somebody he was he was lost as all get out and he and he, he like he flaunted his freedom in the flesh like that's what he did uh, but he would come to me and he would say things like this hey hey he would start the sentence or start the conversation with me with this mom said yes I'm like, well, then it doesn't matter what else, right? Because mom said yes. Like, mom said yes. And he, he would say things like this. Hey, hey, dad, mom said yes to we're going to go to a hibachi, which is a, a Japanese steakhouse. On Sundays, he would say, mom said yes, that we're going. And I'm like, man, I don't know about y'all, but when church is over, especially as the pastor, I've been there for a long time, preached a couple times on Sunday. your boys ready for some food. And I'm like, L- the last thing I want, and so I'm like, I'm thinking in my mind, it's true enough to like think that J- Sherry would have said this, my wife would have said this, but-, but I'm not really wanting her to go to hibachi. He'll say things like this, hey, my- hey dad, M- mom said we could go to Chuck E. Cheese. Can we go to Chuck E. Cheese? And I'm like... Like, literally, I'm in the, my mind, I'm thinking, I'm like, it's possible that, that Sherry said this. It's possible that Sherry gave him this affirmation. But if he did, and in these situations, I'm thinking to myself, Sherry, I've got some trust issues. If you're saying yes to some things that I would have said no to. I'm having some trust issues. But But here's what's so crazy is my son will... He will say things that's so believable and it's so close to what is possible to be true that I actually, when I'm looking at him, he's so stinking cute that that I almost believe it's true. And here's the crazy thing, is what I have found in my life is that the enemy will do the exact same thing to me. That the enemy will, he will, he'll take something, check it out, go with me on this journey today. He will take something that is so close to the truth, but distort it just enough to where I can't tell the difference. And then he'll use it to ask me a question and to make me question if it's God. Or if it's not, and then what happens for me is that I go on a journey that sometimes it's days. Y'all, yeah, just be transparent with you guys. I remember when I was in college, I, I was struggling. I was struggling with the, the will of God. I'm, not, I'm sure nobody else struggles with the will of God here on a Christian college campus. Let me, let me free you up. Paul says this, that the will of God is, is your sanctification. God cares so much more about who you are than what you do. I think it's awesome that you're gonna be a worship leader or missionary. I think it's awesome that you're gonna be whatever that you're gonna be. Some some of you may have come for the MR degree or the MRS degree, like the Mr. or Mrs. You came to get married. Let me just be honest. We used to say at our Christian college campus, ring by spring or your money back. You know what I mean? Like it was just it was a guarantee. That that would be a great marketing plan, by the way, Dr. I put that in, write that, write that down, right? Ring by spring your money. Yeah. But I used to question the will of God. I used to question the will of God, and and then I I, I had this realization. But 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 before I had the realization of all this of this, that like he would he would ask me questions and he would say things that I thought like it sounded so much like it could be the voice of God, but he distorted it just enough for me to to wonder if it really was God or if it was the enemy. And y'all, that's a tight spot to be in. Like when you're starting to. Sometimes feel like you're attributing the enemy's voice to like what maybe God said. Like you find yourself wrestling through some things. And this is exactly it's it's unique, but it's not unique. We we see this if you were to rewind all the way back to the book of Genesis and the in the chapter of number three of the book of Genesis. If you have your Bible, you want to turn there. We're gonna be there in just a moment. But we see that this is the very, the very beginning, the very first. Man, I love this from, like, left to the right. We need, when we build a building, like, we need to, like, we're seven years in almost, y'all, and we still meet in a high school. We still load in, load out every week. So we, I'm, like, taking notes. I love this. I love, like, the panoramic, Dr. A. I think it's awesome. But what we see, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, we see this is the very same lie that the enemy used with Adam and used with Eve. And the reason that the enemy doesn't use new things is because the old things still work. He's not very smart. And so he uses the same tactics over and over and over. Genesis chapter 3, starting verse number 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say? You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Did God actually say? Four words, big question. Did God actually say? And it's in this moment in Genesis chapter 3 where the enemy starts to attack the relational trust that Adam and Eve had with God the Creator. It's in this moment where the enemy takes out his hammer and the chisel, and he starts to chisel away at the relational trust that he has with Adam and Eve. You see, when the enemy can get you to question the relational trust, everything else in your life can be skewed. Everything else can be brought into question. And in 2022, can I tell you, listen, I think people would say it like this. Would God really say... And, y'all, I want to spend some time on this Christian college campus on the front end of this message. I, I feel like this is, it is so important for us to wrestle through this, this idea of would God really say. And the reason that we ask these questions in 2022, check it out, is because we have a deficit in the understanding of the word of God. We live in an illiterate biblical culture. We, we live in a, a world that people say they follow Jesus, but they don't read his word. And I don't know if you can separate the two. The, the people, they, hey, I, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. Well, do you read the word of God? Well, I mean, no. Like, I love Jesus. I mean, that's awesome. That's fantastic. It may get you into heaven, but it won't get heaven inside of you. Like you may have like all of this emotional moments and things like that that you experience, but you need the intimacy of God in order to carry you and sustain you for all the days of your life. Would God really say? Did God actually say, and we would ask it in 2022, would God really say? Let let me encourage you, uh, future current pastors, let me not say future, current pastors, those of you who want to pastor, Never move away from the word of God. Let me say that again because I want a a bigger amen from that. Never move away from the word of God. It is the only thing that has the power to change people. It is the only book that has the power to equip people. It is the only thing that if you listen, like our church is so progressive. It is in the sense of like the methodologies that we use. I mean, there's lights and and haze and people. Like some people hate it, and you may hate it if you came. That's okay. It's not for every. How many thankful that we there, there are churches that are all across the spectrum that are for every different type of person. So so thankful for that. But we're progressive in our methodology, but we are traditional. We are conservative in our theology. That you don't have to separate the two. Like just because you go to a church where like the drums are crazy and the electric guitars are screaming doesn't mean, well, they don't stand on the word of God. No, it's possible to stand, it's, it's possible to not divorce the two. I, I want to encourage you to, to know the word of God, to teach the word of God. But Because we start to question things, we start to ask questions about things that God has already Spoken on. One of my mentors said it like this. If God has already spoken on an issue, my opinion doesn't matter. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that one more time because if you're taking notes, you're going to want to write that down. That if God has already spoken on an issue, my opinion doesn't matter. There's no way. We we end up saying things like this when we don't know the word. We end up saying things like there's there's no way that he would command something that makes me uncomfortable. Like, Dr. A, there's no way. There's, There's no way. There's no way he would cause me to, to, to command me to do something. And there's no way that, that he would command something that goes against my preferences. Come, don't we live in a world, can I speak on some sexuality things? Can I speak into that? We live in a world that there's no possible way that God would come against what I'm feeling. Like, is it possible that, that some of our feelings, that, that, that some of our feelings need to be sanctified by God? Like, nobody, nobody that is a good friend, and I talk to parents all the time. They're like, well, my, my daughter is, is 12, and she wants to identify as a, as a boy and all this stuff. And I'm like, so what would you say to her? Well, I just want to affirm her and her feelings. I'm like, if my son comes to me and he says, can I walk around? Is that okay? Or do I need to stay here? Okay, I can walk around. If my son comes to me and says, hey, I, I, I feel like I just want to be angry all the days of my life. And I, every day I want to walk up to the wall and I just want to start punching it until I break my hand. And I looked at Jace and I said, Jace, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> I would be affirming him in the feelings of his flesh. Like, why in the world? That would, be not, that would not be good parenting. That would be terrible parenting. But there's no way when we don't know the Word of God, like, I have people in my church that ask me, like, hey, I, I, don't, I know that, like, it talks about in the Old Testament, but it doesn't really talk about sexual things in the New Testament. I'm like, wait, have you read the Bible? And I don't want to just pick on sexuality. Like, it talks about debauchery, and it talks about anger, and it talks about drunkenness, and it talks about, like, envy, and it talks about all of it. So I don't want to, we always pinpoint this. I don't want to just pinpoint this one thing, but none of us, it would be spiritual malpractice for me to say, buddy, hey, I think it would be great. Just every time you get angry, run your head into that wall. That's great. Great job. No, no, I want to help him. I want to help him go at the things that he's wondering and help him meet it with scripture so that he could sanctify some of those things. In my church, I talk about the word of God all the time. And um, I know some people probably are like, come on, would you move on, Pastor Kenneth, would you move on? Do something like help me, help me with this, help me with that. And I can help you with this. I can help you with that. But until you are in the word of God, like I will literally, it will be somebody spoon feeding you your spirituality until you decide to eat for yourself. And my encouragement to you on this Christian college campus would to not just come to President's Chapel, Dean's Chapel, and come to the, the student-led chapel. Not to just come to those things and, let, and go to Sundays at, at, at whatever church you choose to go to and, 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 and be fed there. But you would feed yourself, feed your soul on a regular basis. So that when the enemy starts to decay the relational trust in your life, you will know what God actually said. And you will be confident and what he said. Check out verse one again. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say? And he says, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And when I read that as I was studying this, I'm I'm, I'm thinking, Was that what God actually said? And it's not at all what God actually said. Ch- check out Genesis two, fifteen through seventeen. It says the Lord God took the man, and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But see, I I told you, what I told you is is so true, that the enemy will get so close to the truth, but distorted enough to chisel away very discreetly at the relational trust that you have with God. He, He will get so close to get you to question and then eventually fall. In Genesis, back in chapter 3, verse 2, it says, and the woman said to the serpent, which, by the way, um, pastors, teachers of the word of God, when something is strange, call it strange from the pulpit. The woman said to the serpent, the woman is having a conversation with the serpent, y'all. Does anybody find an issue with that? Like, if, if I see a snake, you know, you know what I'm not doing? Talking to it. I'm telling you, but there's lost people in your congregation that, like, if you just gloss over that, like, that's because we've read that since we were knee-high to a grasshopper, right? That's like a southern word for that. that means when you were little. <laughs> when you were in Sunday school. Come on. I grew up in the south, baby. Come on. We had Sunday school. Call it, call it, the woman said to the serpent, just be like, okay, that's, that's different. Okay, we're moving on. We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He lies, and when he lies, he moves from more subtle to blatant. As he decays the relational trust, he will move from subtle lies to more blatant ones in verse six through seven says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the, to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some of to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I, w- I want you to see this because the enemy, again, he gets close to the truth. He deceives Eve and then eventually Adam. And the enemy does this in, in, in our lives as well. And when he does this, it opens up you and I to, to so many other questions. Maybe you're wondering, like, why, why is this important today, Pastor Ken? Why, why would you come from Delaware? And, and uh, we, we drove six hours. It was beautiful, beautiful drive. Like, why would you come this far to share this message with this amazing school? And, and, and the reason I came and the reason I want to share this message is because over the last several years, what I have seen is there's so many Christians, pastors, and and musicians, and thought leaders, and and uh, authors, and people that, that they they're, they're going through what they're what, we're, what they're calling and phrasing the, the deconstruction movement. The, the deconstruction movement. They're going through this. They're, they're deconstructing their faith, and and I, I love this is like. People, I don't love this. I find it interesting that these these like musicians and authors—they're actually more public about their deconstruction than they ever were about their faith. And I'm like, oh, but but we're doing this out of love. We just want to share our journey, share our journey. How many know social media is like the bane of all existence, anyways? Like the bottom feeder of the of the world, social media. I'm like the only thirty-five year old pastor of a a decently sized church. I have zero social media, y'all. Zero. Look me up later, you won't find me. Come on, somebody. It saves me so much drama. I don't have to respond to people's comments, and I don't think what United did this or they didn't do that. And I'm like, well, I just live in my little, my little gray. I'm just like, I have no clue what people are saying. I, but but we, we, they're, they're, they're going through this deconstruction phase. And so why would you bring this up? It's because this is the time more than any, Elam students, that when your faith must become your own. That your faith is, this is something that I wrestled through when I was at Christian college is is that my faith had to become my own. My faith was no longer my parents' faith. My my faith was no longer my, my amazing pastor's faith or my youth pastor's faith. It had to become my faith. And if you don't know what God's word says, you will be susceptible to a multitude of lies from the enemy. And when you believe these lies, it leads to questions. And it's not like y level questions. This is like soul-level questions. It will cause you to question so many things in your life. And, and I, I want to walk you through a few of these questions. That, it's actually three questions before we leave today that I believe will be so helpful that as you navigate but also as you help others navigate will be so important for you to wrestle through. Questions like this. This is, this is where the enemy will begin to decay the trust in the, the relationship, the relational trust in, in, with you and God. The, the first, one of the first questions he will ask is this, is, is how could a freeing God be so restrictive? Like, how could a freeing God be so restrictive? I know you've never thought that. I know you've never even had to imagine that thought, right? Like, you, you've never gone there. But, but I want to give you a, a, a scripture from Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So we have to answer this question, is God restrictive? And here's what I want you to understand this, because the enemy will make you feel this way about God, is that God, yes, he sets boundaries in your life, but no, he is not restrictive in your life. I, I'm going to tell you this illustration. I, was, um, I, I found this study, and it was done by some psychologists and sociologists, and they were studying these these kids at a, uh, at a, a daycare center, and uh, there was a playground maybe you 've heard this study before, maybe you haven 't this will be maybe new for some of you and and they were doing this study, and so they, they Allowed the kids to run out onto the playground, and the playground was a great playground. There was fencing surrounding it so that nobody could come on and no kids could go off, and it was very, it was very safe for them to play. And, and they observed these kids, and they were having a great time. They were running around, no anxiety, no, no nothing like flaring up inside of them, having a, having a great time playing like kids do. And, and the, the kids go back inside from recess, and the next day what they did is they allowed the kids to go back out for recess, but they, took, they had taken the fencing down on the playground. They took the fencing down, and what happened was all of the kids, they huddled in the center of this playground. There was a few stragglers who were playing around. Come on, how many of y'all know there's always the crazy kid that's like, ah, like they're just crazy, right? Like, but the, for the most part, they were in the middle of the playground. They were huddled around, just kind of feeling a little bit like uh, a little bit uh, standoffish, a little bit anxious. And they, they, they were researching this, watching this all play out. They brought the kids back in from recess, and the next day they put the fence back in. And you can look this up, fact check me if you want to and that the study is out there. The next day they come back out, they had reinstalled the fence and guess what happened when they let them back out for recess? They played like kids again. They had a lot of fun. And in this study, it showed that kids actually, they not only need boundaries, but they desire boundaries in their life. And what I have found to be true about my relationship with Jesus is not only do I need boundaries that God gives me, but I desire the boundaries that God gives me. That it may not be something that I would ask him for and say, God, would you just give me more boundaries in Jesus' name, amen. But it's something that I find that I'm able to thrive in. I think of things like me and and Sherry, my, my wife. We have boundaries in our relationship. Is it restrictive or is it freeing? I believe it's freeing because the intimacy that we experience is so much greater because we have boundaries in place. Does this make sense? So one of the reasons that we don't have social media is because I don't trust myself. And the reason that it's not, it's a boundary that I've placed on myself that gives me so much freedom with my wife. Like, I don't have to worry about looking at Instagram and all the other ladies who are out there because I've got my bride. Come on, she's the wife of my youth, y'all. I'm I'm preaching better than y'all responding right now. That's what's happening. Like, So God puts boundaries in our life, but it's not... It's not in order to be, it's not in the, the, for the means of being restrictive. It's so that we can experience his fullness. But when the enemy gets into our minds, he will take some of the boundaries, because I'm sure there are living on a Christian college campus, and I would get so annoyed at 10 p.m. every night when I lived in the apartments at my college campus, and the RA would walk around and go, Sherry, you got to go. And I would get so annoyed. I'm like, oh, why do you, like you're taking away my freedom. (laughs) You're taking away my freedom. But what I didn't realize is those boundaries were allowing me to live in so much more freedom now. Because who knows what would have happened. I'm not saying that anything would, but I'm just saying, imagine imagine if those boundaries weren't there and we would have fallen into temptation and we would have experienced some things that would have caused heartache for later. You see how the boundaries does this make sense? Am I making sense today? I just want to make, make, make sense. The second one is a little bit more intense the question that the enemy will begin to ask. And he may not do it to you, but he'll do it, he'll, he'll ask this question to others. And I mean that sincerely. He'll say this How could a loving God send people to hell? When he decays that relational trust, he, he will get you to begin to say things like How could a loving God send people to hell? I'm hoping this helps you as you walk people through this question, because in ministry, people will ask you this question. In life, people will ask you this question. Which leads to another question, is God loving? Is he loving? First John 4a, I love it, it says, God is love. John 3, 16 through 21, we've all memorized this verse. No, especially verse 16, but I, I want to point this out. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Check out verse 17 for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the same in excuse me in the name of the only son of God but this is the judgment the light has come into the world and check this out and people loved darkness how many of you know in 2022 that there are people who love darkness Rather than the light because their works were evil, verse twenty, for everyone who does wicked things, another another one I want to point out, hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. People live in the light, people live in the darkness. People love the light, people love the darkness. See, but the, the original question, how could a loving God send people to hell, it's a, it's a great question. And the answer that I want to give you may not be one that you initially agree with, but, but I, I, maybe on, on, in an a, a, a atmosphere setting like this, you may, is this, is that, that God doesn't send people to hell. He grants them the desire of their choice. And can I tell you this, for love to be loved, there has to be choice involved. If my wife had no choice, there would not be love. That would be... Something other than love. That if I had no choice than to be in relationship with my wife, it would be something, but it wouldn't be love. Imagine someone who who doesn't love or accept Jesus. Imagine this. Imagine someone who doesn't love or accept Jesus being forced to stand around the throne of God for all of eternity singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Like how unloving would it be? Let me like give you some, um, some uh, conversation points to have on the other side. How unloving would it be to force someone into an eternity that they didn't choose? Imagine a pagan, like a Satan worshiper, somebody who was like so far out there, the lover of darkness, as scripture says. Imagine them opening their eyes around the throne, like closing their eyes on this side of earth and then waking up the next and they're around the throne of God, people singing holy, like what would be heaven for me and you would be hell for them. And so when people say, how could a loving God send people to hell? It's not that he sends people, he, gives, he grants them desires of the choice. And church, can I just tell you, it doesn't make me excited to say this. Like it grieves my heart. We want, and, and our, our, One of the things that we say at our church is that we want to make it tough for people in the state of Delaware to go to hell. Like we want to be the ones that are like, don't do it. There's a better way. Don't do it. Like, hey, the, you're, you're heading towards a path of, of destruction. Like, we just want to be the one to say, hey, there's, there's a much better way to live in relationship with Jesus. He will change everything about you. This is the heart in Scripture. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Of course, hell is not God's desire for anybody, especially but he loves you so much that he gives you a choice I love what Timothy Keller said he said hell is simply one's freely chosen identity apart from God on a trajectory into infinity I had to read that like seven times in order to make sense of it so it may take a moment that hell is simply one's freely chosen identity apart from God on a trajectory into infinity God just giving people the desire of their choice. The last question that I want to show you is how could a good God allow suffering? How could a good God allow suffering? Which begs the question, is God good? I want to tell you a really quick story, and um, I've got to finish up and land the plane here because there's other things to do today other than listen to me preach. My friend, my best friend uh, in college, I played college baseball with him one of my very best friends on planet earth. I met him when I went to college and it was like literally like a soul friend, like immediately when I met him, he moved to Indianapolis, Indiana and, um, planted a church. One morning he goes to the gym. Me and him are on the phone with each other while he's at the gym finishing up and he's on his way back. He says, bye to me, hangs up the phone. He walks in the door. He finds his wife murdered on the floor. Is God good? And when the enemy gets a foothold in your life, and he just starts to decay the relational trust, and something like that happens, you got to know the answer on the front end, because it's too late on the back end. He says it like this. He says, you have to prepare for the fight that you're not yet in. You have to prepare for the battle that you're not yet. And you have to prepare for the tragedy that you haven't yet faced. And many of you are on the front end of life right now, and you haven't maybe experienced a ton of tragedy, and maybe you have. I don't pretend to know your story. But I do know this is that you must know and have settled in your heart, is God good? Because you will step into ministry. And there will be people that betray you. And there will be people that talk about you. And there will be people that stab you in the back. And there will be people that say things about you. How many of y'all know, I got into ministry to help people. And then there will be people in your ministry that will demonize you. And you're like, well, I didn't wake up today to hurt you. I, I was trying to help. I was literally, I gave my life to helping people. And you think that somehow, like, I've got horns and a tail on and running around trying to terrorize you. But you have to determine in your heart, is God good? Mark ten eighteen. 18 says this, no one is good except God alone. Listen, I, I want to just cut to the chase and, and, and ask you this question. Is it possible that there's a sovereign God in heaven who has greater perspective on life than you do? I think we all know the answer to that question. The answer is absolutely. And evil and suffering, they're not evidence against God. I believe it's evidence that we have a plumb line called a conscience for what is good and for what is, what isn't. Maybe we wonder where that came from. All of you know this is, wasn't the way that God created at all, that God created us to live in perfection. You know the story in Genesis. And in the disobedience, and the fall, it Everything was introduced that we have here today, cancer and COVID and death, and the list goes on and on. But it wasn't supposed to be this way. Jesus actually spoke about this. Check out John 16, as I finish. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, they say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. What was C.S. Lewis saying? He was saying, like it says in Genesis 50, that God takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it around for your good over and over and over again. Echoing the words of Paul in 8, Romans eight twenty-eight, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. In Revelation chapter 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. Come on, how many of you know that God will return us to Genesis when God walked with man, that he will walk with us again? And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So what do we do with all of this? What do we do with all of this? Before we go to lunch, what do we do? We go all the way back to the beginning and we ask ourselves, really ask ourselves the questions, do we know what God actually said? Do we have a hunger for the word of God? Are we experiencing intimacy with God at a level that when life comes at us and when things happen, that we know he's good above all else. And so just for a moment, I don't wanna take up much more time, but if you would just bow your head and close your eyes for a moment, just for a moment of reflection. That we wouldn't allow this moment to just sweep by us. My hope is that maybe today, March 15th, 2022, maybe you would drive a stake into the ground that you would say, you know what? I haven't been in the word like I I, I should be, especially if I'm preparing for the fight that I'm not yet in. I I haven't been in the word. I don't know what God actually said like I should. And the beautiful thing I want to speak over you is what Romans chapter eight, verse one says, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't bring it up to bring condemnation on you. I bring it up because I love you and I want to challenge you. To make today the day where you say, I'm going to get some disciplines in my life to build that relational trust, to grow that intimacy with Jesus. So that I will know what God actually said. Come on, whatever posture you needed to take, to just say, God, that's my heart. But that's in your seat, Whatever you want to do, I just want to give you a moment. Just say, God, the stakes in the ground. I trust you. I love you. I believe you. You're good. so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take and that you would seal everything that we've talked about today. God, that we would lean into you with every ounce of who we are, knowing that you will never, you will never let us down. You're so good to us. We love you with all our hearts. In Jesus' amazing and powerful name we pray these things.